You're listening to Drinking on the Job, D-O-T-J. I'm your host, John Coyle. Drinking on the Job is a toast to the culture of food, wine, and all things fermented. We'll be talking with winemakers, musicians, artists, late-night bartenders, scoundrels, and more. It's time to grab a glass before its last call. Alex Gimignani is Broadway royalty. Just 40, he's been part of some of the greatest productions in recent history. Assassins, Carousel, Sweeney Todd, Hamilton, just to name a few. Currently, he is the musical director for the 2020 production of West Side Story. Today, we talk theater and discuss the fate of Broadway. Drinking on the Job, episode 66, starts now. Okay, so I'm here today with Alex Gimignani, the musical director of West Side Story. And I'm so happy to have you here. And so I was uh, knocking around asking people about Alex, and more than one person said he has one of the most beautiful, strongest voice on Broadway. I went and listened to uh, Bring Him Home from Les Mis and some of the stuff from Assassins, and it choked me up. It was so beautiful. Uh, I'm blessed to have him here. Thank you, Alex. Of course. Thank you, John. That's of an intro. Thanks, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, Ross, who's the uh, director of the show, uh, him and I used to laugh many times because we love Broadway and musicals. We always said the, that the Gay Pride Festival should have a float and it just, it'd be straight guys who like musicals. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, yeah. That's been our running joke for years. So, uh, yeah, man. But I can't help but think as people sit in, uh, sheltered in, uh, how many bad musicals are being written right now about the pandemic? I mean, like, I can hear the pitch. It's, you know, oh, it's a Phantom of the Opera because everyone's wearing masks, but it's kind of meets Footloose where nobody can dance because of social distancing and there's two non-binary lovers and we'll call it pandemic. Uh, but don't you see I, uh, tons of plays and screenplays are being written about this right now as everybody sits in. Yeah, they're taking I'm sure. I mean, look, I, I am 100% sure that you are right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my... I, I, I actually hope that there are tons of bad things being written because it means people are still wanting to be creative. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. For sure. Um, so you have this incredible voice. And I always say, like, everybody wants to be the Michael Jordan of something. You could be the Michael Jordan of accounting. Um, mm. You have this voice. When did you realize you had this gift? Um. Well, that's, I mean, that's, I don't know, that's, nobody's ever asked me that question before. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I grew up in a super musical family, both my parents, you know, my dad is Paul Gimignani, who's a very, um, yeah. sort of the grand poobah of musical directors. Sure. Um, and my mom uh, is an actress and uh, opera singer and was uh, primarily doing opera when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. And both of her parents and her sister are also musicians. So I was around music a lot. Right. Um, my mom was primarily the singer, but my grandmother taught voice at Carnegie Mellon. And my grandfather was a conductor and, and choral director. And um, so I was around different kinds of singing. Of course, my dad was doing Broadway. So I was around all kinds of different kinds of singing for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I initially went to college to be a trumpet player. Wow. Uh, yeah. So I, I went into... Um, University of Michigan to be a trumpet player and transferred into musical theater, um, you know, because I wanted a more 
stable profession. Um, <laughs> and, um, yeah. so I, uh, I transferred in, um, my, like halfway through my freshman year, but you know, in high school and growing up, I was, I mean, I was, I had a, I would say I had a normal childhood, but I don't think that's fully accurate in the sense of like my exposure level was very high. Sure. You were going um, to see like, uh, Jerome Robbins on Broadway and yeah, uh, yeah, your yeah. dad was dragging all the stuff. I'm sure at the yeah. time you probably hated, but secretly loved. Well, I don't yeah. know. I was never like, because I never, I don't know. I, I found, I felt very lucky that I had like incredible public arts education, like mm-hmm. all the way through from elementary school. Like none of the music was, it never, until now, I'm now 40, almost 41. And I was mm-hmm. like, you know, not until now have I really reflected on like, oh, the family business, so to speak. Right. You know, it, growing up, it, my parents were very cool about, you know, I mean, my mom was like, you can't play football. But other than that, uh, (laughs) you know, I was pretty much had like a, I played sports and I hung out with my friends and I ended up, you know, picking up the trumpet in fourth grade. And I just was like, this is what I want to do and loved it. And, you know, so uh, as far as singing is concerned, you know, I didn't really study formally until I got to college, until I transferred in. So I I had been in my high school musicals and things like that. Um, uh, But I never really, and magical choir and, I had a barbershop quartet with all my friends, you know, so we could get all the ladies. Yeah, and, sure. Um, and uh, and that was, you know, what we did. We 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 just kind of made music a lot and hung out and, you know, fucked around. And That's, am I allowed to swear? Yeah, of course. Swear? Okay, yeah. okay, great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, and, and you grew, did you grow up in in New Jersey, Tenafly? I did. I was yeah. born in Manhattan, okay. uh, on the Upper West Side, Mount Sinai Hospital. So my mom walked across the park. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, they lived at 94th and West End until, until I was about two. And then they moved right. out to Jersey. Right. And um, that's where I grew up my whole my whole life until I went to school. It's a great town. Or, you know, yeah. I in Maplewood forever. We're in a studio on West Orange. It has its, uh, it has its, there's a lot of arts out here. Oh, Jersey. Uh, yeah. Jersey is so, so yeah. interesting. It's such an interesting state. So, uh, so musical director of West Side Story, that is such, yeah. I, I, so uh, we're going to get to that, but, um, you know, it is called Drinking on the Job, so we're going to talk a little bit about uh, uh, wine. Um, there's a famous town in Tuscany called San Gimignano. Yeah. Uh, it's a, a hill town in Tuscany uh, in the southwest of Florence that makes a bone dry white called Vernaccia, which I love. It's like, it's like. Uh, Pinot Grigio with like kind of, kind of almond skin kind of flavor component that I mm. absolutely Delicious. adore. So you should go hunt some of that out. Uh, it's, yeah. it's been been making wine since the Renaissance, uh, and uh, I'm sure you've been to Italy. And, and I have. And, it's yeah. been a long time. I've been wanting to go back, take my daughter. Probably when she's a little older. She's five now. But yeah. I went with my parents when I was a kid, and you know, because my dad, my dad's dad's family is from the Tuscany region. Um, it's beautiful. It's so beautiful, but I want to go back as an adult so I can appreciate everything you're talking, the food and the wine and the whole, the whole nine yards. It is spectacular. So we're at this kind of moment in time right now, I think like, uh, so being in the wine business, I'm connected to restaurants, uh, tremendously and all those area restaurants around Times Square, uh, Oceana and a bunch of people that I know partners in these restaurants, 70% of their business relies heavily on Broadway. And I also think of all these little musical uh, theaters where people go to practice their music and their dancing and their choreography, mm-hmm. and they're just empty. And mm-hmm. business are being devastated, and everyone's looking to Broadway as this beacon, this light. Like, what's your feeling about when we open? My opinion mm-hmm. sure. is Your opinion. spring. Wow, okay. I mean, look, 
you know, theaters, I agree with you. Like the theater has shown over the history of theater that it is incredibly relevant and, and incredibly resilient Mm -hmm. through whatever trauma, uh, or sort of disaster strikes in whatever culture theater has always been, you know, the live performance element from, you know, oration and speeches to plays and musicals. Uh, you know, they've always been necessary for people to heal, for people to gather, for people to process. Um, and so there's a real sense of communal uh, or a community, right. Mm -hmm. Um, beyond just the people who do it, but like you are with those 1200 people every night, you are a community for three hours, you know? I love it. Uh, I, I also associate it with like the, what I love about live theater and most people do, it's like, I always liken it to seeing a comet or a meteor. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's rare because every night is so different depending on the chemistry. You know, I did comedy. I was in theater for a a while and uh, on any given night I could take the same exact set of jokes, bring it out to stage and it destroys and the next night everything falls flat because it's a room. It's a chemistry thing. And when you see live theater, every night there's there's those nights it just sings. It's just magical. Um, And that's the thing with, I think St. Anne's Warehouse is doing some stuff like we were chatting earlier on Zoom and live video it just loses that interaction, that human connection, that uh, those electric fields aren't mixing. And it just doesn't seem right. You know? um, there is, yeah, I mean, I, I teach a lot. I'm on faculty at NYU at mm-hmm. Steinhardt, and um, I've been teaching privately for years and on and off faculties, master classes and stuff like that. And I can't remember, it might have been my wife, who's a director, Aaron Ortman, and also a, a brilliant uh, acting teacher in her sort of like former life. Mm-hmm. Um, and it might have been her, but I can't remember who said it, but I'll credit her because okay. I'll get extra points for there that. There you go. Um, <laughs> uh, who talks about energizing the space between you and the audience. Mm-hmm. And I just love that. Yeah. I love that idea. I've stolen it and used it for myself as an actor, but also mm-hmm. as an educator. And what you're saying is that exact thing. It's like the space between the person singing the song, from Tony singing Something's Coming, between the oh, you know between that yeah. and the 1800 and change who fill the Broadway theater yeah. um, is only present for those two and a half minutes that that song is alive until the next thing happens right and the next thing happens and the next thing happens so right. there's this there's this beautiful uh, um, agreement among the people in that room the two it's not that they're putting aside differences, but kinda. I mean, sure. we're we're just you know we're making an offering. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're in show business and you are lucky enough to be in a show, you are making an offering to a group of people, and those group of people get to respond how they want mm-hmm. in a safe way. Sure. Um, I think and, there's an agreement and, you know, too, an un- unwritten agreement yeah. that like let's all like leave everything at the door and be in the moment and share this mm-hmm. incredible experience. And if you can, and this to me, the actors on stage singing or or in a play are saying, if if you let me take you here, I'll take you somewhere really beautiful. Yeah, and and that happens magically every single night, you know, or night uh, after 100%. night, and and that's what's it's so hard to think of it not there. Um, until, yeah, I mean, you know. I, I just think, I mean, the reason I say spring is because. Mm-hmm. You know, logistically getting, when we're in, Westside is in one of the biggest theaters in town, right? Right. 1,800 seats at the Broadway, Mm -hmm. something like that, 18 and change. And, you know, uh, I think, I think when we come back, I think producers, I mean, I'm totally speaking of my own volition here, but like, I think producers aren't going to want to put people at risk, nor will theater owners. So I think, 
you know, a lot's going to be determined by what happens the rest of the summer and, and the fall. I think Broadway is going to want to come back as quick as it possibly can for not only for all of the billions of dollars it's bringing to the district and to the city, not only through tourism and re- the restaurant business and mm-hmm. whatever else is going on right. um, and the theaters themselves, but also for the thing you're talking about, like if Broadway shuts down, everybody's like, whoa, Broadway shut down. Like yeah. it's, it's such a symbol of not only New York, but just like this, this beautiful singular experience. And then I say Broadway, but it extends to all the theaters, in sure. New York, all the off Broadway and the off, off Broadway, just like mm-hmm. the theater community as a whole. Um, and, you know, not to get too like woo about it or, or, you know, deep about it, but like, I do think that we are going to see the, the theater. I don't know in what ways exactly, but I do think not only because of the pandemic, but because of the, horrible events uh of of the george floyd murder it's like we're gonna see a whole different um culture of theater i think over the next several several years and i think that's i think that's good that there is room made for i I agree new voices and new ideas Mm -hmm. and things things that perhaps have not been embraced in the way that they should have been sure i mean west side story came out of racial tension in the 60s rent came out of the aids crisis i mean there's tons of uh people sitting in rooms writing bad but great stuff as well but i guess that's what i mean is that i think i think in the sense of the resiliency element of it it's like the theater has always been a place for uh responsive activism Mm -hmm. for new ideas for you know and um you know hopefully hopefully those new i I think this is going to birth a bunch of new a lot of art and i think you know hopefully the things that that are powerful and important to rise to the top of that pile yeah i I, yeah i totally uh i totally agree i want to come back to that but i'm thinking you've done so many shows and great shows right i've been very very lucky (laughs) very very lucky exactly uh What's the craziest thing that happened to you during a performance? Oh my gosh! <laughs> I mean that you know anything you can imagine, not anything, but a lot of things that you can imagine have happened. Mm-hmm. Like somebody having a seizure, a heart attack, somebody being drunk and disorderly and vomiting right. in the aisle. Right. Um, you know, holding the curtain because an actor's costume fell apart backstage, oh. you know, just, or a draw, you know, one of the musicians didn't show up and we couldn't start the show. Like all of that has happened. Right. I would say, like the. I'll talk about two things. One was, one is more funny and one is a little more serious. Okay. Um, so I'll start with the funny one, I guess. Um, I shouldn't say okay. it's funny. It's terrible. Um, so I was doing Carousel. I guess that was two years ago. I was playing uh, Mr. Snow in Carousel, uh, the most recent revival. Mm-hmm. And um, we, I've, I've been in a show where like medical things have happened in the house, but I've never been in a show where we had to stop the show. So, I mean, like, maybe two minutes into the top of the show, you know, the ballet is starting, uh, the carousel waltz, and mm. Trip, our stage manager, gets over the loudspeaker to the entire building, not just backstage, but the audience says, I'm sorry, we have to hold, and the dancers on stage stop, and the curtain comes down, and there was, I guess, an elderly person who had passed out. Mm. The, EM, the EMTs came. I mean, this is a Sunday matinee, so right. we, we had Sunday matinees at, like, 3 o'clock, so that was, like, 3.10, maybe. Mm. So we keep going on and we have intermission and we do the show and then, you know, spoiler alert, if you don't know the plot of Carousel, but Billy dies about pretty close to the top of act two, maybe 20 minutes in. And Julie has this incredible monologue over his dead body and Jesse Mueller's playing, uh, playing uh, Julie, which is like 
there's nobody better. Mm-hmm. And she's getting to the section of the monologue where she says, um, you know, I want to tell you something I've never told you. I couldn't tell you. I'm afraid you'd laugh at me. I love you. I love you. I love you. Is the, this is the line. Right. And she gets to like, uh, you know, uh, I want to tell you something I never told you. Um, afraid you'd laugh at me. And then she stops. She's like, I'm sorry. We have to stop. <laughs> and what? there was a guy, there was a guy in the like third row who was like medic doctor, like help. And somebody else, another elderly person had like passed out in the audience, the same show. So of course, and wow. poor Josh Henry wow. also so brilliant yeah. playing Billy dead on the floor. Oh, right had to like get up and move out of the way as they lowered the curtain and the ambulance came. And wow. I mean, our show was like two hours and 25 minutes and we, it took us over three hours to get out of the building that day. And I've like, I've been in, you know, it was wow. the strangest like two odd. on one show. There yeah. must've been some gremlin in the, yeah, <laughs> I felt so bad for Jesse and Josh. I was like, "Oh man!" Like, Some talk says, about let, let's try to get the age demographic down, shall we? People? Yeah, yeah. How do exactly. we do that? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it, but it's also Murphy's Law. It's like anytime a phone goes off, it's always at the moment of silence. Like, it's never at the most loud, raucous moment. It's always when like the person's over the dead body or. Yeah. Or there's some, you know, they're about to kiss and it's like, ring, ring. It's always in the moment of silence. The cell phone somehow finds some moment to, you know, anyway, but, you know, it was. It was <laughs> that's that's good. Moment. So, and so I, yeah. look, I have to imagine if you're on your like 95th production of something, there's got to be some kind of like hijinks. You get bored and like, maybe, you know, you put a sardine in somebody's pocket. Uh, does <laughs> I don't know. Write that down. It's a good idea. You steal it to me. But you, uh, has anything, what kind of stuff, have you ever done anything like that? Just purposely fucked with somebody or or been on stage when somebody's done it? I should probably plead the fifth about my own involvement in anything. (laughs) Okay. But um, I will say that doing Les Mis, and most people who have done Les Mis, and there are a lot of us now, would tell you for whatever reason, that show breeds a large amount of hijinks. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why that is. Yeah. I mean, more so than any other show I've done. And oh. I tend to be, I tend to be a bit of a jokester. Right. Not, not to the point where I'm like distracting. Right. <laughs> fellow performers, but you know, I'll, I'll whip a weird look at somebody right. or like one of my earliest jobs. I like had a scene where I was profiled to the audience. Mm-hmm. So I blacked out my upstage teeth. With a, with a, so when I smiled at them, it looked like I had no teeth on the top right of my, oh, like good. stuff like that, yeah, you know, like yeah. stuff where you're trying to make people break, but not yeah. in like a, an obvious way. Right. That's a little bit irresponsible. And yeah. some, some actors, it really annoys. So you have to be careful. Yeah. And I totally respect that, by the way. Sure, like if you're, course. if you're not a person, you gotta, you gotta like have a, it's a two way street. Right. You, gotta, right. you gotta make sure that like, if you give, you can take. And also that the person you're joking with is like, not going to, you know, ream you ream you after when you get off stage so luckily i've been pretty good at reading that um i mean les mis we there was like a week where we went around passing a handful of like moisturizer (laughs) which was like the gnarliest nastiest thing just like you go to because in les mis you're just all over everybody you're climbing you're touching carrying people fighting or whatever you're doing right and i mean just like handfuls of moisturizer just you put someone's hand just just (laughs) Oh man, like, god damn, I got it now. Things like that, just silly stuff, you know, that's, like that's stuff good. that's just and you just move on and do your job. Um yeah. So is there a role you would like to do? I mean, cuz you're a musical director now, but you're a singer. So there there's got to be some roles you're like, man, I'd like to sink my teeth into that one. 
Yeah, I mean, I've always had dreams of Harold Hill someday in my life. But, oh, that's great. Yeah. You know, I, I yeah, uh, or you know, I did I did Sweeney Todd a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I was the Beatle in the '05 revival that John okay. Doyle directed. Right. Uh, that was so fun and such a great group. We were also the we were also the the orchestra in that one. Huh. Who didn't? Isn't Hugh Jackman doing? Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which will yeah. be great. Right. He and Sutton are doing it. Yeah. Uh, the, oh, um, she's fantastic too. She's got a yeah. She's powerhouse. Amazing. Uh, she's amazing. Hugh Jackman um, is oddly like I, I guess I just didn't know, but he is a really good song and dance man. Oh man, he's dynamite. He's a beast. You know, right? if you've never. Oh yeah, and I'm dating back to before he was a movie star. Like, mm. if you go back and watch that. Um, Oklahoma, that, right. uh, Trevor Nunn, Oklahoma, which you can watch, I think, on Broadway HD. Mm-hmm. Um, his Curly is like, the whole production's amazing. Shubler right. Hensley and all his good. But I mean, like, that, his Curly is so good. Yeah, it's he, so good. Yeah, he did that opening um, number for the Tonys a couple of years ago when he was hosting. Yes. I was just like, the stamina alone. Just, oh, no, no, no. Like he's a he, he's a perfect, he'll be a great Harold Hill. It's yeah. a great choice. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's... He's he's dynamite, and and also just like super nice, and I mean we we've met only very briefly once, but uh, we have a lot of friends in common, or like people who've worked with him in common, and uh, you know that's always nice to hear I, when someone is like good and also not a you know not yeah, a dick, not an asshole. <laughs> yeah, I, right. I, I always think of the uh, um, the uh, the music band, the the movie with uh, Buddy Hackett as Marcellus. Oh yeah. Oh no. <laughs> I grew he, up watching it. He just kills me. Oh kills gosh, me. I yeah. know. I guess uh, there's a thing that like I'm trying to think if there's I mean this is just like the evolution of comedy in many ways but mm-hmm. like you know those broad stroke like if you watch like my wife and I are watching some old Seinfelds right now mm-hmm. and if you watch like the actors who play like Jerry Stiller and and right. um the guy who plays Jerry's dad and like Jerry's uncle right and the guys in Florida, Jerry's yeah, yeah, parents, right. like, they're all like, it's like you all of a sudden wandered into the Catskills in the yeah. 50s. It's like, <laughs> everybody's right. like, oh, what? like everybody's doing <laughs> these huge <laughs> characterizations. And you're like, yeah. wow, that just feels like all of a sudden it feels like you're not, you're in another time, which I think is the point. Like, I think that's the, the point the show is saying. But but it is it is that thing of like, but <laughs> as Marcellus is yeah. like. Just that's a just fantastic. bold bold choice. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Um, but yeah, I've you know I've, I've been lucky enough to do a lot of Sondheim shows, and so I feel like anytime I get a chance to do anything that Steve has written I, as an actor, it's like a total oh. gift. I'm now like getting too old to play George George and Sunny the Park with George, but that's always been yeah. a a fervent dream. Yeah. Um, what revival would you like to see? If you because you, you do some revivals, so like to like be in, in or to just see to like well, like well, to see come back. What would you like to see come back? Uh, Fiorello. Okay. Um, I don't know it. Yeah. There's a great score yeah, okay. about Fiora LaGuardia. Oh, okay. Um, oh, right. It's a Bach and Harnick show. Same guys who wrote Fiddler and She Loves Me. and It's a great score. Um, what, what's your take on um, SpongeBob SquarePants on Broadway? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we saw it. We went to a... Uh, Did you take like mushrooms? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we probably should have. It was a little early in the day, though. We went to uh, we went to the um, <laughs> mushrooms. We went to uh, like a student matinee because I was doing Carousel at the time, and right. I couldn't go. You know, that's the 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 catch twenty two about being in a Broadway show. I would say is like you finally have the money when you have a job to see shit, but now you have no time because everybody's working on the same right. schedule. But then you don't you you're out of job out of work, and you're like, yeah, I don't really have money to buy a ticket. <laughs> So, um, but I have all the time. Um, but luckily there's enough ways now that you can either buy a house seat or you, you know, there's, there's very good like discount options to, to 
to take people. There's there's options today. Ticks and TKTS is still kicking, and there's discounts if you if you're a little diligent, you can find cheaper tickets. Anyway, I, I think one of the great things about the musical theater, and I talk about this. I'm also the um, the artistic director for the National Music Theater Conference at the O'Neill, mm-hmm. which is oh. which develops brand uh, new musicals three every summer. Oh. Uh, so this is my third year doing that uh, job, which I absolutely adore. Um, but it's, oh, I talk about this a lot with, uh, with the conference, which is, you know, musical theater is an additive art form. You know, I, I almost if you think about other, you know, forms of music or arts. There, there tends to be a focus on the new or a focus on the old. Um, and I really believe that musical theater is, you know, for every Hamilton and Dear Evan Hansen and, right. um, spongebob there's oklahoma and carousel also need like a home like they and 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 are welcomed you know like you have a full gamut always of options available you to you on broadway Mm -hmm. um i think they're like i mean as far as like shows that exist i think there are i think we can do better as a as a business as far as like being more inclusive and i mean that in a holistic sense as far as like new voices writing new shows with people who are, have different experiences than just privileged white people. But sure. when we are not social distancing, we're going to do a live one together and talk more about the, why can't we give a little more theater to the people and figure the math out on that? But yeah, Ra- yeah, yeah. Ross Minichello, who's the director of the show and an amazing human being loves theater would kill me if I didn't mention assassins. Um, okay. Yeah. Which kind of, uh, came and went pretty quickly, but wanted to talk about like the premise and because um, the musical score to me is gorgeous, and I know other people said it's one of the best things they've ever seen on Broadway. Um, chat about why that disappeared so quickly, and does that come back? Well, that's uh, that's a loaded but very good question. Mm-hmm. Which is, um, well, for those people who don't know Assassins, you should check it out. Um, it's it was actually supposed to have a revival at classic stage off Broadway until the virus hit. So I don't know what their plan is to bring it back, but I hope it comes okay. back. Cause oh, it's, that's good. it's a great, it's a great show. Yeah. Mm. Um, assassins is a concept musical, which basically just means it's not threaded together by like one narrative. Um, it's, there's a, an idea, which mm. is that it catalogs, um, all of the assassination attempts on us presidents, mm. uh, attempts and successful attempts, I guess, um, throughout history. Um, yeah. so Booth and Oswald and John Hinckley and squeaky Fromm and Sarah Jane Moore and mm. some of the lesser known folks like Zang, Giuseppe Zangara and, uh, Leon Sholgosh and Charles Gateau. And, you know, it sort of culminates in the Oz, the Kennedy assassination. So what makes it a concept show is that it goes out of order time-wise, um, meaning it doesn't, doesn't chrono, it doesn't, um, catalog the assassins, chronologically mm-hmm. it sort of uh, it sort of builds to the, uh, the kennedy assassination which is arguably like one of the most you know one of the biggest traumatic events that shaped the country for sure yeah um so i think you know that was a huge impetus i'm sure for writing it i've never asked steve and john if that was why mm-hmm. they wrote it but that is you know sure. that is a major thing that happens mm-hmm. in the play so um you know and it's uh i think it's fascinating i think as a, as a piece of work people are interested and I, and I think on a broad stroke it's about the interpretation of the american dream mm-hmm. you know and, sure. and i think that how these 
sad souls and violent souls translate that into the acts that they commit, whether it's like to win the love of a movie star. And mm-hmm. I played, I played John Hinckley. So, right. you know, in the musical Hinckley's trying to write a song for Jody Foster in his basement, <laughs> uh, looking at the, uh, a picture of her and from taxi driver and, uh, squeaky from shows up. Now they didn't know each other or ever interact, but in the play they do. And, you know, the scene kind of evolves into a little bit of all, let's call it comic aggression, Mm -hmm. um, where, you know, she's like, you don't really understand what real love is and what what real love is what I have for Charlie and meaning Charlie Manson. And um, he's like, you're get get the fuck out of my face. And they then she leaves in quotation marks. And then they they have this beautiful sort of like Burt Bacharachy duet called unworthy of your love that is just so hmm. it's groovy and terrifying and gorgeous it's only a song steve sondheim can write i am nothing you are wind and water and sky jody Tell me, Jody, how I can earn your love. I would swim oceans, I would move mountains, I would do anything for you. What do you want me to do? I am unworthy of your love, Jody, Jody. Let me prove worthy of your love. Tell me how I can earn your love. Set me free. How can I turn your love to me? I am nothing. Of your 
It was initially supposed to start rehearsals uh, in 2001, and actually the week of 9-11 was when we were supposed to start rehearsals. And so the Roundabout Theatre Company who produced it, rightfully, I got a call from Joe Mantello, actually, uh, who's the director of the show, uh, and said, we're, we have postponed this indefinitely because... Yeah. of you know the world's events uh and everybody was like that makes a lot of sense that's good and then you know i did my actory thing for three years my out-of-work actory thing like readings and waiting tables and uh, or nice. actually i didn't really wait tables i, I catered okay. i was a cater guy oh excuse um, me yeah sorry well no 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 no, <laughs> no definitely no, down that i waited plenty of tables my uh, friend um uh, we'll but that was more that. of a, a summer mm-hmm. that was my summer job usually between in college um that's crazy how incredibly daunting was it to take on London Bernstein, the music of West Side Story? Like, how does that happen? And, and do you sit in, like, have anxiety attacks moving forward with this? Like, <laughs> when this gets offered to you? or you know? uh, I mean, I was definitely surprised. I mean, I, you know, I, like I said, I've known Steve Sondheim for, mm-hmm. because my dad was basically his musical director for many, 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 many years. Right. Um, and uh, then it, I just very I, 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 unrelated to that. I got cast in several of the revivals of his shows, um, Assassins, Sweeney, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And so developed sort of my own relationship with him. And then I worked on a uh, a revival of one of his shows called Merrily We Roll Along, mm-hmm. uh, which Fiasco Theater Company, a great theater company, put together that Roundabout also produced mm-hmm. um, off Broadway a couple years ago. And um, 2617, I think it was, 2018. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. What is time now, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> I've stopped being able to tell. Yeah. And uh, really developed, and I was the music director and orchestrator on that. Okay. And um, got to sort of really know Steve in that capacity. And then Westside was coming along, and Steve recommended me for the job. And so I got a call from the general manager's office saying, you know, Scott Rudin is interested in you doing this. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Yeah. Uh, so as far as like anxiety attack, I mean, no, no, I, I, I am not, I am not a nervous person by nature, but I think like there's a difference between sort of like good nerves and bad nerves, like good yeah. nerves is ambition, you and know, excitement. And, yeah. 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 And I was like, yeah. I'm going to get a chance to do this. Like, yeah, fuck, fuck. Yeah. I'm down. Yeah. Like, let's, yeah. let's, let's get gnarly. Right. Um, and so it, and this was a really, and it continues to be a very eye opening and educational experience for me, mm-hmm. uh, to do something on this scale, um, as a music director, mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't have any formal conducting training, uh, but I have, I have two conductors in my family that I've watched. Well, I mean, my grandfather's passed, but you know, I've watched many, many conductors over the years. Not that that is a substitution, but that is how I've learned. Yeah. And it's a little bit in the genes and also just like, uh, a love and an understanding of, West Side Story is one of my all-time favorite musicals, so oh I certainly yeah. have known it forever. Yeah. And the other thing is, like, there aren't a lot of crossover actor MDs, mm-hmm. uh, and I actually think that uh, I think it's valuable because I think you you know part of the job of an MD is you're a communicator. Mm-hmm. You know, right. you really have to communicate to to cast and orchestra and stage management. Really, like how you know pacing and flow and interpretation and uh, if you can get inside the the people in the play mm-hmm. um, from a from a musical perspective, you're sure. able to you know access all of that. So and music is so beautiful. Um, did did you leave? It out, really is. Uh, did you leave? Out? I'm so pretty. Um, I feel pretty. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. What? The director. 
Evo right. von Hove uh, mm-hmm. was, um, you know, uh, and Steve was on board. I mean, Steve mm-hmm. is the one living author. Sure. Um, Arthur Lawrence and Leonard Bernstein are, are both past, but uh, you know, I think through creative conversations, um, I feel pretty was never really, we were never really talking about it. It was always something that the, he wanted out of the production and Steve agreed. And oh, okay. the, you know, the Bernstein estate said, that's, a, that's fine with us. And here we are. That's all that matters. You got that. Okay. Right. Yeah. I mean, for this production, it would be strange to have it in. Did, did you like the choice of more like uh, the updates and the multimedia stuff? I mean, there's rain on stage and. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, it looks, it looks amazing. I mean, it's, it's, I think it is like, look, and I think Steve would say this too. I mean, if you're going to look, we've, I think Steve said like, you know, we've all seen this version of West side that we have mm-hmm. imprinted in our minds. That sure. is great with like the Converse shoes and the Letterman jackets. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That is amazing. Right. right. And, um, I, I think, you know, one of the central conceits of this production is that it is youthful. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it's really, you really feel like these are kids right. uh, because they are. Yeah. Sure. Um, you know, it doesn't feel like a bunch of 40 year olds being like, Hey daddy. Oh, like, it just, like, it's just like, you're like, okay, I get it. <laughs> oh my like, God. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Ow. Let's, yeah. can we dance a little slower? Um, but you know, so the fact that to me, if you're doing it now, um, or sort of in a timeless way, um, then you have liberties to, uh, and, and perhaps even a responsibility to sort of acknowledge uh, how young people might be looking at this mm-hmm. story today. And I think that translates into a more technical element to the show that maybe wasn't there when it was first out because our perspective was very different. Mm-hmm. So I think the use of the video and the cameras and the rain is, ex- you know, extremely powerful and mm-hmm. innovative and sort of really interesting to take this classic work that we all sort of put on a pedestal, rightfully so, yeah. And say like, well, what about this? Mm-hmm. And I always like to say about like powerful revivals of mm-hmm. which I've been a part of a, a lot um, that I'm very proud of. Assassins, Violet, Sweeney, My Fair Lady, right. Carousel. Like I've done a lot of revivals and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm proud of them because I feel like they are like they can't exist without the original. Right. <laughs> and maybe sure. that's stating the obvious, but, right. you know, what we learn culturally from a show that is that proves itself to be a timeless masterpiece is that it stands up to, you know, perspective. And I think right. that's that's an essential part of what the theater is, is interpretation. Well, so look at that show. I, I mean, think the, that's great. the bones on that show, uh, the skeleton is built on uh, racial tension uh, yeah. that people are uh, are dealing with, and that's where we are today. Yeah, yeah and also Romeo and Juliet, one of the sure. greatest right. exactly. plays about, you know, cultural right. tension and, and societal yeah. norms or whatever in class system class system yes a song that kind of resonates now is you know uh you know everything free in america as long as you're white in america yeah, is yeah, the yeah. one that strikes me and i'm like man uh we are all addressing uh white privilege at this point and it's uh and it's there and uh, and we need to have this conversation so i think that's we you were talking about a timeless classic uh you know piece that it's it shouldn't go away yeah i right? totally agree and i also think that like the true test of a classic work is something you hear anew every time you revisit it um and things are going to resonate you know more powerfully uh or more potently i think as we continue to <laughs> 
as a culture make a lot of mistakes and um experience horrific trauma and uh you know weather the storm of what it means to be an american and like define what that is um yeah. as we sort of gra- grapple with that yeah sure which brings me to a joke of course great segue. yay good <laughs> <laughs> So one of the funniest lines I've ever heard from a comedian about West Side Story. <laughs> I think the guy's name was Bobby Slater. I hope that's his name. Oh, sure, he's, and he used to say, so let me get this straight. A guy goes running through Spanish Harlem yelling, Maria, Maria, <laughs> and only one woman comes to the window? <laughs> I've, oh, I've, I've always shit. loved that joke. I remembered it forever. Uh, and uh, it's, I, I didn't think of him because he wanted me to write jokes for him many years ago, and I said no because he was like a bucket joke. Um, that is hilarious. So we're going to we're going to come to a close, and I and uh, I have a, a kind of my uh, James Lipton questions I ask people, which I love, and oh, I'm I'm curious okay. what your answers are here. So let's say they're going to hang you tomorrow at sunrise to be dramatic, right? Ooh, uh, wow. What is what your I last do? meal? <laughs> what's Ooh. your last drink? And what's oh, the last man. piece of music you're listening to or singing? So let's start with John. <laughs> Just sweep the legs, Johnny. Uh, all right. So my last meal. Um, my last meal is probably chicken wings. Okay, hot wings. Yeah, not like crazy hot. Okay, like buffalo buffalo wings. Okay, not we'll some go. not right. some gourmet okay. nonsense. Like okay. straight up sports bar. <laughs> Look at you, nice. Okay, just two dozen. <laughs> some ex, some, ex, some extra blue cheese. Sure. I hey. mean, if I'm dying, it's I'll your last meal, man. Don't worry about the cholesterol. Go ahead, go right, for right. it. Right, exactly, right. exactly. Yeah. So I would say like a really good meaty wing mm-hmm. uh, with okay. some extra blue cheese and um, and the drink. Well, see, that's the that's the hard part. Is like the drink really goes with the food, right? Sure. It's your last. It's your last drink. So. <sighs> wow, that's really tricky. Don't be embarrassed I mean, if it's well, a pina what colada. I would do, no, 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 no. God, no. <laughs> what I would probably do is I would have – I'm going to bend the rules of your question. Sure. So I would sure. probably have like a really good like Laphroaig or like a – you know, like a like a nice scotch okay. first. Then oh, okay. I would have like a beer with the wings. Yeah, got to. Ice cold. Because I can't, can't be washing back buffalo wings with scotch. I mean, that's just <laughs> – no. that's, that's dark. That's just a dark day. People go, um, man, he is dying. Yeah, right. that's right. You're like, well, we see. You know, you know save, the, save the money on the rope. Right. He's yeah. doing it himself. Um, so, uh, that's good. Uh, uh, okay. And what that, piece that, of music's that, playing or would you like to sing on your way out as you're going to the gallows? I, I'll answer this question only with the, ca- uh, the caveat that, like, when we meet again, this will definitely be a different answer. And okay. In fact, in fact, if you ask me tomorrow or in a half an hour, it might be a different okay. answer. Sure. So I'm just going to say yes and say Barber's Adagio for Strings is what I'm going to say. Wow. Okay. So beautiful, it, classical. Yeah. That's okay. weird for me. I'm such a jazz guy. Mm-hmm. But that was such an informative piece for me. Right. Um, growing up not for any reason other than i listened to the shit out of it like over and over again with like headphones on just like getting deep with myself so to speak um it's beautiful yeah yeah, i'm sure it is what i think is funny is just like how about like you go to the gals you get to pick and everybody goes oh we're gonna we're gonna watch them uh hang alex uh (laughs) and uh and then you start playing the music and you pick something like you know miles and he starts giving you shit like oh how cliche yeah, really, exactly, Miles. Exactly. Really, really, Miles. Right, Davis. You know, okay, uh, but anyway, 
Alex. Hilarious. I, rolling their eyes. Okay. I want to thank you so much oh, for drinking on the job, for being on. I, I, this is an amazing, and I'm, I want to do another episode with you uh, when we're out I would love shelter. that. This, is, this has been a total blast, man. Cool. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, buddy. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check us out at dotjpodcast.com. Until then, I'll see you at the bar. <laughs>